Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. As I get started, I want to tell you a story about something that happened yesterday. Um, Yesterday, my mom called me, which is not unusual, but she always calls me on October 18th because it's a significant day for her and for me. You see, when my mom got pregnant with me, I was the first. Any firstborns in here? We know we're the best, right? There's no discussion. There's no debate. We're the best. We're the most responsible. We're just the best. We wake up in the morning and just exude excellence. Anyway, um, my mom's first pregnancy, she got, which happens in pregnancy, I guess, got quite large, um, as pregnant women do. And she got so rotund that she met with the doctor. And the doctor, you know, the, the due date was October 18th. The doctor said, it will be a miracle if you make it to your due date, this baby's coming early. So she calls me every, when, every uh, October 18th, every year, to remind me that it was my due date and that I didn't come for another two and a half weeks after my due date. Um, I apparently set some kind of record at the, they induce now or whatever, I don't know how they do that. Um, they just go in and grab the baby. I don't know how they do that. But um, back then, like they just went with it. You know, I, was, I set some kind of record at that hospital. I was one of the latest to be born. So my mom still kind of holds that against me. And every October 18th, she calls me to remind me that it was going to be a miracle if she made it at her due date, and I made it another two and a half weeks. Um, So we're going to talk about um, miracles tonight, and I want to talk to you about some miracles. For some of you, you feel like it would be a miracle if you ever got a date. I'm not saying that's you. I'm just saying some people feel that way. I'm saying I felt that way when I was a teenager. Be a miracle if Marshall wins an NCAA football championship with their high potent, high powered offense that we've been seeing over the past few weeks. It'd be a miracle. It'd be a miracle if your brother stops being annoying. Anybody say amen to that one? Like, yeah, oh wow. Okay, yeah. You can say amen to that one. It'd be a miracle sometimes if your brother would be. How many of y'all have taken the, had to take the permit test before? They make that, it's like, you know, what would you do if there was an Amish person pulling a buggy, you know, like, and there was a motorcycle going 45 degrees in the opposite direction, what would you do? It's like the most ridiculous questions. It's one of the hardest, like, tests to pass. How many of y'all, you'll admit, I struggle with the permit test. Like, you struggle, you, permit test is difficult. So for some of you, you feel like it'd be a miracle if you passed the driver's permit test. Um, it'd be a miracle if Kim and Kanye got to back together. I'm just saying. After all the water under the bridge now, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and then some of you were probably thinking at this point it would be a miracle if Matt ever lets refuel out on time. Amen. Wow. I appreciate, I appreciate that uh, vote of confidence. So we're, we're in a series, and the series is called Strange Things Christians Believe. Christians believe some strange things. We started the series last week. Um, we're continuing the series tonight, and one of the strange things that Christians believe is that we believe in miracles. We believe in miracles. Uh, maybe you've, you, you've been to Sunday school and you've read stories in the Bible before and they seem more to you as stories. Uh, are miracles real is the question that people ask. Uh, are miracles real or is it just a word that we use to describe like the impossibility of Marshall winning a national championship? Like are miracles real? And if miracles are real, do they matter? Does God actually still step in and change the course of history? Does he step in and suspend the laws of nature? Are miracles real? Tonight we're going to be talking about miracles. Um, So for some of you, this might be really interesting because 
Christianity is it's interesting because of like the niceness of it and like people love each other, but did, could God really do some of the things that the Bible says that he could do? But what I want, I hope you walk away uh, from tonight is, is knowing this, that the miracles of the Bible, the miracles of the Bible are real and they prove that God can be trusted. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 2. We're going to be there in a minute, but before we, we kind of get there, what exactly is a miracle? A lot of people have different um, opinions or perspectives on what a miracle is. I want to share with you two, um, two definitions of a miracle that I think are helpful and might help us understand what we're talking about. The first is from someone um, who um, is, 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 is one of my favorite authors. His name is Dave Early, and he calls a miracle an act of God that temporarily suspends the laws of nature where God steps in and changes the natural pattern of things. Then there's this old dude I read. I think he's dead. Um, you know, dead people always write more formally. Have you noticed that? It's like maybe when I die, my writing will appear more formal to other people. But um, his name is Herbert Lockyer. He writes a lot, and his definition of a miracle, it sounds very formal. A miracle wrought, why can't we just say brought about by, no. A miracle wrought by divine power for divine purpose by means beyond the reach of man. So in, in terms that we can understand, a miracle is something that we could never do. A miracle is something that, can't necessar- that isn't necessarily explainable by science or observable by science. And it's something that God does because he's all powerful. So um, as we're thinking about miracles... And this dude here, Herbert Lockyer, he has a series of books that I read, and you'll find them boring, okay? I'm not suggesting you buy them. Maybe. Any nerds in here that you like to read nerdy books? Okay. Like one? Adam? Okay. Uh, (laughs) um, But he has a series called the All Series. So he has one that's all the miracles of the Bible. And he has one, all the women of the Bible. He has one that's like all the, uh, yeah, all of the the, uh, sorrow of the Bible. This one is called All the Miracles of the Bible. This is about a 300-page book that is full of just explaining all the miracles that are found in the Bible. Have you ever stopped to think about how many miracles, how many times God actually did suspend the laws of nature or create the laws of nature to work a miracle in the Bible? I'm not going to read them all, um, but in the, his book, we, he, he highlights about 200 miracles in the Bible. And there are more than that because it comes down to what your definition of a miracle is. Here are some big miracles that we read about just in the Old Testament, just in I guess you could say part one of the Bible. God created the world. Like literally the first verse of the Bible is a miracle, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, okay? God created a worldwide flood event that covered the entire earth and water. Well, that's a miracle. God destroyed the sinful cities of Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. Miracle. God allowed a 90-year-old woman to conceive with a child. Miracle. God turned water into blood. Miracle. God made frogs appear. These are the ones in Egypt. Remember the plagues of Egypt. God made all, like, frogs appear on everything. Um, God made, this is disgusting. God sent a plague of lice on the Egyptian people. God sent flies. Man, what's with the bugs? He sent flies. We'll go down to some other. God um, appeared to Israel and led them through a cloud, a pillar of cloud. Um, God led Israel through a pillar of fire. God turned Aaron's rod into a snake. Pretty incredible. God sent manna. God sent literally food down from heaven 
to feed the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. I've been told that it was Chick-fil-A chicken minis, but it has not been scientifically verified yet. Miracle. Right? I could go on and on and on and on about all the miracles we read about in the Bible. God split the water of the Red Sea so the Israelites could walk through. You know, Moses' staff, you know. Miracle. God split the waters of the Jordan River so the Israelites could pass from one side of the Jordan to the other and take over Jericho. God brought down the walls of Jericho. You remember singing about that in, in, in Sunday school at church? Right? God made Balaam's donkey talk. There's a funny story about my dad preaching on Balaam's donkey that if you want to hear about it, you can tell later. My dad accidentally swore several times. Um, um, you can probably think about how that works. Um, God made the sun stand still for more than a day where it was. God does miracles. We haven't even touched the miracles of Jesus that we will get to here in a minute. But all that to say, God is a miracle working God. God does the miraculous. So you may say, Matt, well, can these miracles be trusted? Can we know that they're true? I want you to turn, and I hope you already have, to John chapter 2. And in John chapter 2, we hear Jesus talking about the miracles that have happened and the big daddy miracle that had yet to occur at the time. How many of y'all think you know what the big daddy miracle is? You don't have to say it, but the big daddy miracle that's going to occur at the time. So, so the book of John, John chapter 2, we're, we're going to read a few verses, but before we do that, I want to set up what happened, okay? This is a pretty wild uh, series of days for Jesus. Jesus goes to the Jordan River. His cousin, John the Baptist, is baptizing people in the Jordan River. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. When Jesus comes up out of the water, the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. God speaks from heaven. He says, this is my beloved son and who am I? I'm well pleased. Kind of a big life moment. Like, like if that happened to me, big life moment. Yeah, I want pictures. Um, Several days, over the next several days, Jesus is recruiting apprentices. He's recruiting disciples. And he recruits 12 guys, a lot of them, by the way, teenagers, to go with him. And they, from that point on, they spend three years with him, learning from him. A couple days after he recruits his disciples, Jesus is at a wedding. At the wedding, they run out of wine. They got nothing to drink. And Jesus takes these big cisterns, these big jars of water, and turns them into wine. That was his first recorded miracle. Right after he began his ministry. You know Jesus lived 30 years. Without that we know of. Performing any miracles. But the moment he began his ministry. He performed his first miracle. Then Jesus and his disciples. They go to Jerusalem. Because that was what every Jewish person would do. During this Passover time of year. They would go. They would make sacrifices. They would celebrate Passover. And Jesus goes to the temple which is where people would make sacrifices. And he finds all kinds of, you may have heard this, all kinds of people selling things, ripping people off. It's like when you go to King's Island and the food, like you get like, like a chicken nugget this big and it's $12. You know, like you get that kind of ripping off. They're ripping people off, selling temple sacrifices. And you know what Jesus does? And you all know what Jesus does at this point? He goes almost full on Rambo. He just walks up to the table, starts turning them over. He, he crafts, hand, you, you don't think Jesus was a, was a, was a pretty in, yeah, incredible craftsman? He just, he's a MacGyver. He crafts a whip. 
Like, where does he get the supplies? Like, how does he do this? He crafts a whip and starts chasing these, guys, these people who are ripping people off out of the temple, saying, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. So you could say that Jesus is making some enemies. Jesus is causing a stir. You know what it's like at school when a fight breaks out? You know what it's like? I mean, everybody, you, you, they stop. What you, you, whatever you're doing, you stop. You're watching. A lot of people, what are they doing? Right? Like, like, like nobody cares. Everybody's focused on this. Jesus, you could almost say, starts a fight. He did it righteously. It's a whole other conversation. We'll maybe come back to that later. So these Jewish people, these religious leaders come up to Jesus and they're a little upset. They're like, who does this guy think he is? Because they don't know who Jesus is. So this is where we find Jesus and these religious leaders from the temple in John chapter 2. And this is what happens. Start in verse 18. The Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Another version of the Bible says, by what authority are you doing this? Jesus answers them, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. It's kind of a strange thing that Jesus says here. And what we're going to do, I'm going to whip out my trusty pen here. Make sure it works. Can you see the smiley face? We're going we're gonna to tear this portion of scripture apart. We're going to understand exactly what Jesus is saying here. And it tells us a lot. It tells us a lot that we need to know about the miracles of the Bible. Can God, does God step in, suspend the laws of nature and do miraculous, impossible things? So the first thing that we're going to look at is the fact that miracles are a sign of Jesus's authority. If you're taking notes, it's kind of like three things. Miracles are a sign of Jesus's authority. I kind of like this meme here. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. I've got a whole like list of accounts I follow on Instagram. This one was on it. Um, it says, if anyone asks you what would Jesus do, remind them that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibilities. Remember, because that was what Jesus had just done, right? And what, what, are these people, what are these people coming up to Jesus? They say, what sign do you show us for doing these things? What were these things? Whip, <laughs> turning tables, right? Like, and what they're saying is, what sign do you show us? Other versions of the Bible say, by what authority? Are you doing this? To put it in a modern day, like, like the way that we would say it, what gives you the right to come into our temple and tear it up? Have you ever had something happen in your life and you're like, what gives them the right to say that to me? What gives him the right to join our team at like the last minute and expect to start? They're saying the same thing about Jesus. We don't know this guy. And he comes in and acts like he owns the place. Well, spoiler alert, he does, right? But he acts like he owns the place. By what authority? By what sign are you doing this? And that's why we remember here that miracles are a sign of Jesus' authority. 
Because Jesus was the Lord of that temple. He had the authority to determine what happened in that temple. They just didn't know. We're going to circle back to this one here, here in a minute. But, but think about this fact. Jesus, because he performed these miracles, we're going to talk more about Jesus' miracles. God, because he parted the waters of the Red Sea. God, because he spoke nothing. He spoke everything into existence from nothing. Because of the miracles that God did, we know that he has authority that he has the position to tell us how to live. And he had the position to tell these Israelites how they could operate in the temple. So miracles are a sign of Jesus' authority. The next thing is miracles are real. Miracles are real. What's interesting are the two responses. I'm gonna, sh- I'm gonna change my... You have the Jews, which is just the yeah, religious leaders. And you can see that they were... What was their take? Well, their take, Jesus says, destroy this temple in three days and I'll rise it up. What we know is Jesus was talking about that he was going to die and three days later he'd come back from the dead. But they only looked at what Jesus said. They only looked at Jesus' miracle that he, he promised through natural eyes, through human eyes. So think about it. Jesus is standing outside of a temple that he just like tore up, right? And he says, tear this temple down and in three days, I'll raise it back up. What do they say? They say, hey, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple. What they're talking about is that King Herod was constructing an addition to the temple. It was called Herod's Temple. And it had start, the construction had started 45 years before. And it would continue until 63 AD. So it was like almost a century long construction project. Have you ever had construction done at your house? Have you, I remember um, uh, the project, we, we, our stage used to be over there a long time ago, some of you might remember it, and now it's over here, and the process that it took was so long. And they're talking about, they're thinking, this has been a hundred year process of constructing. He says that this can be torn down and rebuilt in three days. It's definitely a no union job. Like, like how, how is it possible? So they're looking at it through Maybe this would be a big word. Naturalistic eyes. And it may surprise you, it may not, that a lot of people, when they hear about the miracles of Jesus, they try to come up with a naturalistic explanation for what happened. Well, surely God didn't just speak the world into existence. He he used this scientific process and this scientific process and this scientific process. Doesn't mean God couldn't and doesn't mean God wouldn't. But at some point you have to come to believe that God spoke nothing into something. A lot of people say, well, maybe the flood in, 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 in Genesis was just a localized flood and it wasn't a worldwide flood like the Bible says. And maybe it was just a lot of rain that happened in one time. As you go through the Bible, sometimes you can start to see how, yeah, I've taken a lot of classes and I've had to read a lot of naturalistic perspectives on the miracles. Some people say, well, when Moses was taking the Israelites across the Red Sea, maybe it was just a really dry season of the year. You know how Beach Fork, they brought it like way down, like, like that's what they're thinking. It was just a really dry time of year and maybe a big like gust of wind came through and knocked out like a hole in the, wa- in the water that the Israelites could just walk through and then just like stopped blowing when the, the Egyptians came through. That seems almost as far-fetched as believing a God that can do anything and <laughs> allow the Israelites to walk across the water. 
They say, well, maybe when Joshua prayed for the sun to stand still and it stood still for over a 24-hour period of time, maybe it was just summer solstice in the Middle East. We're not talking about Alaska here. And you know what's, what's, what's wild is they even will try to take that naturalistic perspective to explain the big daddy miracle of all miracles. You know what it is? Let's, let's go back to the, the past year. What did Jesus say? He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. In verse 21, he was speaking about the temple of his body. When he was raised from the dead, the disciples remember what he had said. He's talking about Jesus' resurrection. And here's the problem with a naturalistic perspective. Here's the problem trying to explain miracles apart from God. The resurrection, you can't explain a dead person coming back to life after three days. It doesn't mean people have tried to come up with explanations. There's these people that have come up with a theory called the swoon theory. Not the swan theory. The swoon theory. And here's, here's a nutshell. And I'll try to be fair, but it's hard to be fair. What they say is, well, Jesus was hanging on the cross. You know, he took blunt force trauma to the head. And, you know, he, he lost a lot of blood. So he just passed out for three days. And they thought he was dead. And then he came too. Because here's the, here's the problem. It's very difficult. It's almost impossible to historically prove that Jesus did not live after his resurrection. There are over, 400, there are over 500 eyewitnesses to Jesus walking after he hung on a cross and was reported to be dead. It's virtually impossible to not it's virtually impossible to disprove the fact that Jesus was alive after his crucifixion. So you say, well, he must have passed out. He must have gone into this comatose state and came out of it and continued to live. Well, here's the problem. Um, there's a book that I've, I've read and there's an author that I like to read and you probably have not, Adam's probably heard of him, but um, um, not everybody maybe have heard. His name is uh, J. Warner Wallace. He was a former crime scene investigator who was an atheist and he went out to investigate the, the claims of Jesus, the life of Jesus, applying his crime, anybody into like crime scene shows like CSI, trying to apply his crime scene investigative skills to the resurrection of Jesus and you can probably guess what, what, what happened. He became a believer in Jesus. And he has a book called Cold Case Christianity. Anybody ever read cold case Christianity where he applies a lot of his investigative skills to the resurrection of Jesus and this isn't from, a, from the book but this is from an interview he did where he answers the question this is, this is cool especially if you're CSI people this is really cool is it possible that Jesus just passed out and the people thought that Jesus was dead but he really wasn't he says, it's hard not to, come, not to look at the crucifixion story without seeing it through the lens of our experience. The truth of us, most of us do not have context of dealing with a dead body. And I would hope most of you don't have that context, okay? That's not a context I want. But back during the first century, when someone would die, it was often their family that would prepare their body for burial. So they would be used to what a dead person was like. And the character, I don't want to get too gross, but hey, it's Halloween, right? Uh, <laughs> so, so it all comes down to what um, J. Warner Wallace calls the mortis triad. 
There are three things that happen to people when they die. That these Jewish, that, the, that Jesus' followers who prepared his body for the grave would have noticed. The first is called algor mortis. They get cold because their blood is no longer circulating. Nobody's getting creeped out, right? The next one is called rigor mortis. Some of y'all, when you've been gutting deer, you, 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 you know how this sinks in. That the body becomes stiff. And then the third is that when we're, people who've sustained a wound, wherever they sustain a wound, there will be blood or there will be blood moving to that wound. So his feet should have been swollen and discolored. All that to say, these people who buried Jesus, if he was alive, they would have known it. There's also an interesting scientific fact in the Bible that makes us understand that Jesus was dead. And Matthew describes it and J. Warner Wallace des describes it in here. It says, John, John reports that when the Roman guards stabbed Jesus in his side, they saw water and blood come out of the wound. If you don't know anything about body science, you wouldn't understand that, uh, that, John, was that, that John wasn't using a metaphor. What they didn't understand at, in, in the early church was that if you have a cardiac arrest, your heart stops beating, you'll suffer one of two types of effusion. You'll either get a pericardial infusion where water collects around the sac of your heart, uh, but most likely if you die in an upright position, you'll get a different infusion where the water collects around your lungs. So if you have a cardiac arrest and I stab you, you'll see a separation of water and blood. Not getting too gross, right? And what does the gospel of John, the eyewitness to Jesus' uh, death and resurrection say? That when the Roman guard shoved a spear in Jesus' side, out came what? Water and blood. When Jesus went into the grave, he was dead. And when he came out of the grave, he was alive. And this promise, this miracle that Jesus predicted even before it happened is the big daddy of all miracles. All the miracles from the beginning of the Bible point to it. All the miracles after point back to it. Jesus is alive. He brought himself back from the dead. So when, the, when these Jewish people ask, by what authority do you show us for doing these things? Jesus' answer is simply, wait and see. Wait and see. So we see that, 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 that Jesus' miracles are real. The miracles of the Bible are real. The ones that point to Jesus and the ones that point back to Jesus, they're all confirmed by this fact that Jesus died and came back to life. God can do the impossible. Miracles are real. The final thing that we learn about miracles through this passage is that miracles point us to the eternal life that Jesus offers. Here's what I love about this passage. In John 2, this last verse when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the word that Jesus had spoken. What, Matt, why should I believe in Jesus? Why should I put my faith in Jesus? Why should I submit to what Je the way Jesus tells me to live? It's because his miracles prove that he was God and that he has authority over this world and that he has authority over our lives. What I kind of love about good old John here is John has, there are more miracles in John than any other book of the Bible that, that, that Jesus did. 
And John writes this about, uh, about his book. Um, the end of John, he says this. This is one of my favorite. I just think it's one of the coolest verses in the Bible. This is what John writes. He was an eyewitness of Jesus. Spent three years with Jesus. Saw him, saw him put to death. Saw him in the grave. Saw him come back to life. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. But were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. If we tried to write all the miracles Jesus did, we'd run out of books. If we got enough books to write all the miracles that Jesus did, we'd run out of places to keep the books. And why did Jesus do all these miracles? And why did John write down specific ones? He tells us in John chapter 20. I don't have my slide on there, so let me read it for you. John chapter 20, verse 31. It says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why one of the most famous uh, verses in the Bible, John three sixteen, tells us that God sent his son that whoever believes in him should not perish. And belief in Jesus is not just a blind leap of faith. It's not just saying, oh, I guess Jesus can save me. It's saying, I believe in someone who can come back from the dead. I believe in someone who can part the Red Sea. I believe in someone who can make the sun stand still. I believe he can save me. So Jesus's miracles aren't just cool. They're not just entertaining. They point us to the eternal life that he offers. Oh, we don't have time to get into all this. See, I brought receipts too. Like, I wanted to show you all the miracles of Jesus. I'm putting it on the app though. Um, they point to the eternal life that Jesus offers. They're real and can be trusted. I've got two minutes to give you some words. I wasn't able to do F words. They're all S words. Is that okay? Okay. These are S words that have to do with the miracles of Jesus. The first is smarts. Are you sitting next to anybody that has any smarts? No? Okay. Look at the person next to you and say, you got some smarts. You need to pump them up, okay? You got some smarts. You got some smarts. Here's the thing. We need to embrace, I, I lost you, didn't I? We need to embrace the supernatural power of God. We need to, we need to when we open God's word, we need to believe that God can do the things he says he did do and the things he can do. We need, we need to ground our faith. We need to ground our faith in reason. There are a lot of really smart people like J. Warner Wallace that we can read when we have trouble understanding certain things in the Bible. I put it this way. You don't have to check your brain at the door of the church and you don't have to check your faith at the door of the classroom. God is real. His miracles are real. And we need to have faith and we need to have reason. We need to bring them together. The next thing is submit. This is one you're not gonna like. Live under God's authority. Hey, if Jesus can create the world, heal the sick, and bring himself back from the dead, he has authority to tell you how to live, right? And tell me how to live. You may say, Matt, I can't believe you get up there and tell people like what we should believe about sexuality. Well, it's really not me, it's God. And God created the human body. I think he has a say in how we should live with our bodies. Yeah. Matt, you, you have no right to tell me what I should do with my anger because you don't know what I've been through. Well, Jesus created your emotions and he has the authority to tell you. We need to live under God's authority. By what right, by what authority did Jesus have to cast 
all those guys out of the temple the same authority that he has to tell me and to tell you how to live. The question is, are you submitting to Jesus' lordship, his authority? Then the final, salvation. Believe in Jesus for eternal life. This stuff is not just fancy, like, like cute little like nursery rhymes that we tell you so you can go to bed easy on Wednesday night. Like these aren't just like, I just want to make you feel good. Like so you leave and everybody feels all pumped up. These are real, <laughs> I don't know, whoever, whoever did the yeah, I was like, that's awesome. Uh, these are real stories. These are real stories about a real God. Like I put it this way, these are real stories about a real God who does real miracles, who really loved you enough to die in your place. That's what it comes down to. That God is real. His miracles are real. And his love for you is real. It's a strange thing that Christians believe that God can do the miraculous. But I'm gonna just challenge you. Prove him wrong. Prove him wrong. God really loves you and we can know that he loves us by the miracles. Namely the big daddy that he came back from the dead. So let's pray and we will make like a banana and split. Decided to change it up a little bit. Okay. Um, God, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you that through your word um, and through the supernatural things you did, we know that you have power over death. You have power over this world. You have power over even Satan and demons. Oh God, there's nothing that's outside of your control and there's nothing that's outside of your authority. And that, that makes us feel so safe and that makes us feel so, so comforted to know um, that, that you're a strong God. Um, but God, with, with your authority and with your strength also comes a responsibility for us to live uh, a way that's pleasing to you and live the way that you've designed for us to live. Uh, so God, I pray that when we remember that you're real, that we'll remember that our responsibility to you is real too. Um, God, I pray that we'll remember that because you're real and because the power you demonstrated on the cross and coming back from the grave was real, that we know you really love us and that we can really be saved uh, when we believe on you and call out your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.